Father, thank you that you being made known to us, Lord, that you're visible in our praise, that you're revealing who you are in a new way, Lord, as a result of us welcoming your presence. So continue to renew us, Lord, in your word. Speak to us. Let our ears be open. Let our eyes see. Let our hearts be moved and transformed. Be made known to us, Lord. Make us different as a result of meeting you here in this moment. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we finished the four weeks of loving your neighbor. You're off the hook now. No more loving your neighbor. Now we move on to God's kingdom. Unfortunately, his kingdom is about loving your neighbor. So we're going to have to go back to that understanding, that that's synonymous, that we continue as we learn to grow in our relationship with Christ, his love for us, the love for others. And we, we continue that in our growth in discipleship and that relationship with who he is. Next two weeks, we're going to see in two parables where Jesus is teaching around the temple after his triumphal entry uh, before is going to come to his death, which is near. Then he begins to teach, and there's religious authorities around. And his teaching in these parables in chapter 21 of, of Matthew's gospel are kingdom-related. And he's establishing an understanding of his kingdom, and that his kingdom is very different than the world's kingdom. And there are two kingdoms. And, and, and we have to have this clarity of what his kingdom is about for us. And in this parable, the parable of the tenants, it's, it's known as, it's an allegory. And an allegory is, is a story that is going to reveal a deeper meaning. Most parables are just parables, and we read them for what they are, and he tells a story. And it's in the story that explains to us what the meaning is of what he's teaching. And here, he's using it as an allegory. An allegory is going to tell us specifically uh, that there's a deeper meaning in the story that he's telling that we would have a greater understanding of the people, the places, the things. They all have this symbolic meaning that he's revealing to us. And the landowner, uh, it begins to bring that clarity of who that is. The landowner is God. So the allegory is the landowner, he, he, is, they're going to get this understanding towards the end of this teaching. But the clarity for us is the landowner is God. The vineyard is the nation of Israel. The tenants are the people of Israel or its religious leaders. The servants are the prophets, and the son, who do you think the son is? Jesus. Just always say Jesus, just to give you a hint. If you ever want to get the right answer to any question that a preacher asks you, just say Jesus. You're always right. You'll always get that right. No matter what, it always comes back to who he is. And, and it, it explains that to us of those specific roles of what they are and describing to us a kingdom understanding or God's kingdom plan for us. And when we understand the story, the meaning of the story becomes more clear. That God established a covenant with Israel, right? The old covenant is the covenant he made that he established with Israel. And what we know is that he's going to establish a new covenant. He did establish a new covenant. But, but he established this covenant. He planted a vineyard. And then he describes it that he built a fence and dug uh, uh, built a fence and, and, and dug deep for a wine press and built a tower. And that description of a vineyard is a glorious vineyard. It's unlike regular vineyards. It's a vineyard that they would understand as an extraordinary vineyard. And he's telling this story about one who, who, who took that vineyard and leased it out and, and, and made it available to those who would work among it. And in verse 34, he says, Now when vintage time drew near, that the grapes were ripe, he sent his servant to the vine dressers. 
that they might receive its fruit. Sense forth this servant that, there's, that, that, that you've been entrusted with this thing. Now bring forth fruit back to the one who owns the vineyard. See, the Lord establishes his vineyard, and he expects his vineyard to what? To bear fruit. Not wild grapes like in Isaiah chapter 5. He's saying that I'm expecting as my vineyard is established that it's going to bear fruit. And he goes on in verse 35 through 36 and he says, And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, stoned another. Again, he sent his other servants. More than the first, they did likewise to them. So if we look at this as an allegory, a deeper meaning, a greater understanding of what God's revealing, throughout the Old Testament, God sent the prophets, right? And, and he sent the prophets, and, and the prophets represent those tenants. And, and, and they went forth, and as uh, the servants, the prophets went forth, and they were the servants. And the tenants, those who were occupying the vineyard, killed them. As they came to proclaim what God's voice was saying, they killed them. And the lesson to the story is being a messenger of God is a dangerous job. Beware, lest you claim yourself a prophet. But, but that they understood that. They understood what take, took place historically and what was happening. And I think they're starting to get the picture as he's explaining this parable to them. And it picks up in verse 37. And the last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, They'll respect my son. But when the vine dresser saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir, come. Let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. Well, we know finally that what? God sent his son, Jesus, whom the tenants, the Israelites, killed. That, that it's a foretelling. In this parable, Jesus is foretelling what's going to happen. He's foretelling his death, that we know that he was cast out of the vineyard, that, that, that he was killed. It's a reminder that, that, that Jesus being crucified outside of Jerusalem in Golgotha. Outside the fence is where he'll be crucified when the son came, when the Messiah came, when the one who came proclaiming that good news, what was left? They killed the son. So Jesus continues the teaching, and he says to them in verse 40, Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? So the Israelites, the religious leaders, he's gathered outside the temple, and, and he proposes that question back to them. So he explains the story we understand it as an allegory, and he says, so what do you think will happen as a result of what they did to his servants and what they did to his son? They responded in verse 41. They said to him, he will destroy those wicked men miserably and leave his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits of their season. They answered correctly, but they didn't realize they were talking about themselves. They didn't realize what... They understood, but it wasn't in their hearts yet what they knew in their heads. See, religious leaders answering correctly, ultimately, it would come to pass in 70 AD in the destruction of the temple. There would be no more. God leased the vineyard to the other tenants, to the church, the church who will give them fruit in its season, that, that God's kingdom is to bear much fruit. That's what's going to take place. And there's two things that we'll learn from this parable. Teach us about God and about humanity. The first thing is the infinite goodness, patience, and mercy of God. Amen. And how do we know that? Because he sent multiple servants. Ultimately, he sent his son. If I was God, after you like 
killed my first server, and I'd be like, I'm done with you. Just wipe you out. But his goodness, his patience, his mercy, he waited. God had given every good thing indicated in the image of that fertile vineyard to his people. To the Israelites, he gave every good thing. He gave his revelation, his protection, a new land and a promise of the Messiah. But man had other plans. They wanted a kingdom on earth, not the kingdom of our God. They wanted to establish that kingdom on earth. So the second thing the parable tells us is the depth of depravity and ungratefulness of humanity. To miss that. See, man chose the kingdoms of this world, not the kingdoms of our God. When the promised Messiah came, the fear of losing control of their power and authority led to killing Jesus. You mean I'd have to give this up? Take out the son. I'm not willing to give this up. I'm not willing to lay down. And we do this. We establish our own kingdoms on earth. We, we, we begin to establish a kingdom in our workplace or within our family or we establish this kingdom on earth that, you know, we have a home that, that, that we make as our kingdom and we even put fences around it. And some homes even have big gates like a kingdom that you can enter in on. And we begin to establish that and we begin to think that building the kingdom on earth is the priority in our life, but there's a greater kingdom that comes. And when your power and your authority is threatened... You have one of two choices to make. Surrender it or reject it. And what happened was they were rejecting the Messiah. They were rejecting what he came to do. They were rejecting that. But God was going to continue to build his kingdom. In spite of man's depravity, in spite of, of, of man's rejection of what they were doing as God was establishing his kingdom, that they were missing the greater message. Picks up in verse 42, Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? He's being sarcastic, by the way. Of course they did. Most of them would be masters of the law. They would understand it. He says, have you never read the scriptures? And he quotes Psalm 118 when he says, the stone which the builders rejected has become what, church? The chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it was marvelous in our eyes. See, all of us have to come to that moment and make a decision for our lives, that decision of what kingdom am I building in my life? What kingdom am I establishing in my life? My worldly kingdom or his kingdom? Which one am I doing? Have I allowed the kingdoms of this world to distract me from God's kingdom plan? Have I, have I allowed where my priorities lie to be more important than God's perfect purpose and plan for his kingdom to be established in my life? And you know where his kingdom gets established? It's in the heart of man. That's where the kingdom gets established. But if you don't make Jesus your king, then you don't know his kingdom. But he invites us into that place and, and, and they were missing it. And understanding the chief cornerstone of, of, of the one who's come, that everything would be built on, that it would be marvelous in our eyes. But we have to ask that question. What kingdom am I building? And, and, and what kingdom in this world might be distracting me from God's kingdom? Jesus goes on and says in verse 43 
through 44. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. See, his kingdom's to establish fruit, a fruit that will last. Verse 44, and whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but whoever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Now what I want you to know is what Jesus establishes there, that his kingdom will be established. And those who don't want to participate with it, he'll, he'll be taken from. And then there are those who come, and, and that we really have to understand this quote. There are those who will come and stumble upon the chief cornerstone. That's a good thing. Stumbling upon the chief cornerstone means that I've come to that moment and, and, and I'm willing to repent and turn from the kingdoms of this earth that I've built upon for myself. And I've rejected the kingdom of our God. But, but stumbling on that stone is that moment that I've come to realize that Jesus could be my king. But then those who rejected it, beware. Because he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And he says this, that, that but whoever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Those who reject the stone, they'll be but dust. And there's this clear separation. But God is patient and kind. His love endures. He sent his servant, sent another servant, finally sent his son, and continues to give us an opportunity to respond to who he is and to build his kingdom purpose in our life. See, God's kingdom is built on those who make their chief, make him their chief cornerstone. That everything in my life would be built upon that, Lord. And it's from that your purpose will be fulfilled. See, God's kingdom bears the fruit of the Spirit. That's the first evidence of God's kingdom in your life. That that would be manifested, that love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, that would be the evidence of his kingdom being built in our life, and evidence for others to see his kingdom, part of that fruit coming forth. And a Christian who's a follower of Christ lives God's kingdom life out in the church, not alone. That we're in the vineyard together living that out. That the church is the community of Christ that God uses to make his kingdom known. That first his kingdom is established in us. Second, his kingdom is made known in us, through us, into others' lives. And that we would get hold of that message as we trip upon that stone. As we recognize who he is. That he's building his kingdom now. And that we have a choice to make of where his kingdom would be built in our lives, whether we receive it or we reject it. See, we are God's people, the tenants in the vineyard. And he expects us to produce a fruit that will endure. So that means no one's off the hook. That means everyone has a role to play. That means everyone has a part. And what he wants us to do is be fruitful, to bear much fruit in his kingdom that's being established on earth as it is in heaven. See, I believe we're entering a season of a great harvest. I really believe that. A greater harvest. God's plan is for his kingdom to come right now in this moment to bear much fruit. You know why I know this? Because I've never been more terrified and exhilarated all at the same time. I don't know if you know this, but pastors don't have all the answers. I'll just let you know. You were hoping, but there, there are moments where you just don't. Often a pastor can come back and say, you need to pray. 
You need relationships with others to find Christ in your life and establish that relationship. You need to be in his word. Why? Because we don't know, but he knows. And if you go to him, you're going to find out those answers that you're looking for. But, but I believe that it's a greater season. And, and, and being terrified or having fear of the unknown is a great thing. Because it's in the unknown that God could be made known to us. It's in that very moment that I go, yeah, my kingdom's not working out all, all okay over here, Lord. For most of us, that's where we come to our realization of who he is, is that, yeah, my kingdom's kind of falling apart. I'm going to need a little help in building this kingdom on earth. And God says, oh, my kingdom is so much greater. Matter of fact, the kingdom that I want to bring you into is an eternal kingdom that you would participate now and forever. And I think that people right now are looking for truth in their life in ways they never looked for it. And we, the church, get to participate. We, the tenants that he's entrusted his kingdom work for, get to participate to bear much fruit in others' lives. And isn't it interesting how the fruit of the Spirit starts with love? And it begins in that place of love, knowing his love for us and our love for others. And it's in that place that his kingdom is being established. And people all around us are looking for those answers. And here's the greatest thing we can tell them. I don't know, but he knows. And if you don't know him, let me tell you about him. Let me tell you about what he's done in my life. Let me tell you about him being the chief cornerstone and how I've allowed him to establish his kingdom in my heart. Matter of fact, I'm part of his kingdom and it's made visible on this earth. I don't know if you know that or not, but I'm in a community of others who believe the same crazy thing I believe. And we love God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength and we're learning to love others as ourselves. His kingdom is advancing whether we're participating or not. The joy is he lets us participate. The joy is he says, not just participate, I want each one of you to bear fruit, to bear great fruit. And now's the time, right now's the time in our life that that fruit can come forth and bring that fruit into others' lives. He's made us stewards of his kingdom on earth. And he's called us as the church to go and bear much fruit. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just ask right now that you would help us in areas of our lives where we've built these kingdoms and we've built walls and fences and we've left you out, Lord. Lord, tear down those walls, tear down those fences. Reestablish and build your kingdom in our life and let it be built on that chief cornerstone, Jesus. And then nothing, Lord, will shake it. Help us, Lord, establish who you are in our lives and build your kingdom now, we pray. Now, comes a moment for each of us that we might be stumbling right now in this moment on that, on that stone. We don't want to wait for his return and be crushed to powder. We want to now say, Lord, I need you in my life. I've built a kingdom and the kingdom's failing, but I need your kingdom in my life. Well, that comes from a decision by grace through faith. He makes an invitation. He gives us the gift of eternal life. That's how much he loves us. But we've got to make a decision that we're going to follow after him. We've got to make a decision. I'm going to surrender my will, my ways. It's repentance where I turn and I begin to walk in that new direction and that relationship with who he is. And every human on the face of the earth has to make that decision for him. 
Now, if you're here in person or watching online, you have a decision to make of what kingdom you're going to build. If you want to build his kingdom, you got to know the king. So to know him, I'm just going to pray with you. Let the Holy Spirit work in your life and ask him into your life this way. Just say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Say, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I open the door of my heart and I ask you to come in. Take control of my life and make me the person you want me to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now if you prayed that in person, you're here, or you prayed that online, what we want to do as a community in Christ is help you on that pathway of discipleship. We've got to grow in that relationship and we need direction along the way. So if you prayed with me here, please, on your way out, stop by one of the hosts that'll be in the lobby and there's a kiosk there and they'll give you some information that you need. If you're watching right now, just click on the button that you've prayed along with me and someone's going to come alongside of you and uh, begin to give you direction and, and ways that we can help on your journey. Amen? Amen? Peace of the Lord be with you. Acknowledge one another with a sign of God's peace. Thank you.